0: Um, you're so welcome to Mission at the Heart of Youth Ministry. Um, as Elaine's already said, my name is Chris. I work for Exodus. Uh, Hannah, my wife, was here, but she told me, um, do you mind if I don't come to your seminar? I just, I don't want to have to tell you if it's really, really bad. So, um, word for word, Mark, exactly. So, um, so she's gone to another one. Um, We live in Lisbon. I work for Exodus, which uh, exists to serve the church in disciple-making youth ministry. And some of you have probably heard about Exodus teams. There's a few from the team here to support, which is great. Um, uh, Today, what do we want to look at? I want to look at a little bit about mission. What is mission? And if, firstly, hands up if you were here with Scott McKnight just this morning for the Bible reading. Fantastic. I promise you I did not coordinate with him whatsoever, but the passage I was going to look through with you was Matthew 10, uh, versus, or Matthew, Matthew ten verses 5 to 10, which is literally what he's just gone through. So I promise you there was no communication with him. He's done my job for me. I'll have to thank him afterwards. Um, what is mission? Why, why is mission integral to the heart of youth ministry? Vital, crucial, needed. And, and thirdly, how can we see this Realized, how can we make this happen? I'm going to make some assumptions um, this morning that either you are involved actively or are interested or are passionate about youth ministry in your church, in your organization, in your family, um, in your community, um, that you either have a passion for young people or a passion for growing his church, his kingdom. Um, and I guess what I would love you to r- leave with is the knowledge that you all already have the capacity for mission within your youth ministry. You all already have the capacity, the resources, the opportunity to prioritize mission as a vital part of your own ministry. A little bit about me. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. My father is a minister. I went along to youth fellowship week by week by week, I was involved. Please come on in, grab a seat. Um, and week by week by week was involved in youth ministry as a, as a young person, as a punter. Um, but maybe like so many people here in Northern Ireland, I lived a double life. I uh, went along to church on Sunday and YF on a Saturday night. Um, or it was a Sunday night, but then on a Saturday morning I was playing rugby. On a Saturday night I was out with the lads offering the team. I lived a life that was on one hand leading worship in in Enniskillen and on the other hand was definitely not leading worship on a Saturday night um, on the streets of Enniskillen. And so um, I guess what I want to say is that it's possible for us as young people to go through the stuff, to attend the meetings, to be involved in the church activities, and yet miss some of the life-giving heart of Jesus that means we don't live it whole life. Does that make sense? And for all of us, there's maybe different things that pull us away. Uh, I went to university um, to Queens and in first year I had an opportunity to go away on a mission team and um, we're going to clarify all about this in a minute in case you're worrying that mission is about mission teams that's not what I want to say um but I went on a mission team to Cuba uh incredible place if you ever the opportunity please go it is wonderful um but going there brought something from what I read into my hands going to Cuba brought something from what was only up here realized in my heart and in actuality in reality and that I think is what we want to try and capture with why mission is integral to youth ministry what is mission I'm sure you all have things that pop into your head right what is mission you think maybe overseas you think Holy bible club you think your everyday street maybe I don't know um but in a seminar of why mission surely we need to consider what mission is handsome if you've heard of Chris Wright who is the uh, one of the authors and directors at the Langham Partnership in London, um, sort of protégés of John Stott. Uh, And his book, The Mission of God's People, fantastic book, if you're into it, says mission or missions is first doing. It is practical, dynamic action. And he goes on to say, if theology is what we think about God, then mission is surely what we do for or with him. Scott McKnight has literally just said, mission is teaching what Jesus taught, doing what Jesus did, and trusting the way Jesus trusted. <laughs> Couldn't sum it up better myself. Um, that's why he's on the main stage. But we, we can point to multiple passages throughout scripture that help us illuminate this. And uh, throughout the Bible, we see God sending people. There's this concept of sending, which is, it's a really dynamic thing. It's a really movemental thing. It's a, it's a, it's a motion. It's not static. And uh, he sends Joseph to save lives in a famine. He sends Moses to liberate people. He sends Elijah to influence nations' politics. He sends Jeremiah to prophesy to people. He sends people on journeys. In Matthew 28, we know the passage. We see Jesus sending his disciples out. And you've already heard maybe from Scott McKnight this morning, but I was going to read Matthew 10, which I will do again. Matthew 10, verse 5, says this. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take anything along with you, nor gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Let me read this again, this time from the message. And just listen to the intonation. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in your neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously, Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. So mission is not limited to form or location. It is making disciples. And as you go, preach the kingdom. Bring healing. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Live with radical generosity. And sometimes we have been guilty of limiting mission, whether it's in youth ministry or not, thinking about it being a far off place in a far off context, in a different language and culture, when actually mission is the divine assignment of everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus in every place they find themselves every day. (laughs) Let me say that again. Mission is the divine assignment of everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus every day, everywhere. It's quite simple, partnering with God's purposes in an active, dynamic, motion fashion to see his kingdom realized in our everyday lives in this world. It is about him first and foremost. Why is mission integral to youth ministry, I wonder? Let me start by asking the opposite question. And just where you're sitting, turn around in threes and answer this. What happens when mission is not part of youth ministry? Answer that question. Turn around just where you are and just take a couple of moments and discuss what happens when mission is not part of youth of a youth ministry. If you don't know people, get to know them, find out names uh, and then introduce yourselves. <laughs> Some of you are having a good chat, others not so much. Please turn around and talk. The more you give in, the more you get out. <laughs> okay. Just a couple of moments. Uh, I'm going to... Does anybody feel confident to share a couple of ideas or answers? Um, What what happens when mission is not part of a youth ministry? Anybody willing to share? Just throw out answers. Yeah. Insular, great. So the ministry itself, youth ministry becomes insular, great. Anybody else want to add to that? I'm going to start picking up people I know. So, they, they become yeah, it sort of becomes about in, inward looking always and, and it's very self-orientated or that group orientated. Great. Fantastic. It's not ministry if there's no mission in it. Great. There's no growth either in breadth or maybe there's no growth in depth either. Just throwing that out there. It actually is disobedient or dishonoring to what Jesus calls through. Matt? You're setting an example of of life as a Christian to young people that says we don't need to do or be active. Yeah, great. Anybody else want to throw anything before we move on? Anything burning on somebody's heart? They need to get out there. No, great. This is what I had, yeah. So insular, inward groups, limit. uh, Sometimes maybe we limit gifting development because we don't take people or have opportunities for people to serve or learn. The ministry dies as nobody's added. Disillusionment or boredom. Uh, and we get cynical, actually sometimes, this is an interesting one, we get cynical of other missional models by which we start pointing out faults in other churches or other ministries because uh, actually sometimes often that is what we actually crave or lack the most in our own churches and we start to point out faults instead of realizing that actually maybe they've got something about this. You've heard some consequences of why it. Isn't, why, what happens when doesn't is not part of a ministry. What, what I wonder what happens if it is. Don't worry, I'm going to talk through things and then we'll give you an opportunity to pause again. But why is it a vital, like, I mean, not just as we said about diso- dishonoring or disobedience or setting an example. Why, why is it actually of life giving importance crucial? And I think that sometimes we, we see this journey of following Jesus as like this stage process of of, um, of building and then sending. And it's kind of this thing of this, this false dichotomy of needing to um, fill people with all this stuff and then say, okay, go do it. When sometimes they maybe only learn the stuff as they do it. <laughs> um. What if we did both at the same time? What if actually in realizing and practical mission of living, we encouraged growth and growth, as I said a minute ago, that's not only in depth, but also in breadth as we reach people. And this is common in the church when we think of discipleship and mission as two separate things. And actually, it's a false dichotomy. They are intrinsically linked. And it's like exactly what this gentleman here said discipleship is following jesus and if we're following if we claim to be disciples if we claim to follow him then we can't help but engage in mission (laughs) and if we are engaged in mission then we are following jesus so therefore we are disciples so discipleship and mission are not divorced in fact they are completely mutually integrated so for our young people to grow they need opportunities to be active and to be active in mission why You grow as you go. Faith is stretched when risk is introduced, when going is introduced, when activity is introduced. And like a muscle, it grows only when it's stretched or when it's torn or when it's a little bit broken or a little bit uh, challenged. Anybody who goes to... The, hands up if you go to the gym here, if you're into sort of working out occasionally, whether that's once a year or, or anything. If, if you've spent any time in the gym and learning about muscle groups, you will know that muscles are antagonistic, that they always, within one muscle group, there are two functions that are opposing and opposite. So, for example, in my arm, I have a bicep, which is on this side, and a tricep, which is on the other side. I can't really do this with a mic, but it's on this side. And the bicep is there primarily is for flexibility. Action to flex my arm, it's for pulling, whereas my tricep is for extending my arm and for pushing, <laughs> right? And just like muscles that need stretched, uh, opposingly in different ways to grow, so faith also needs things that pushes it in different ways to grow. And if I can pull this analogy a little bit further, and please, you know, forgive me for taking it maybe beyond where it needs to be, but if you think of, I th- actually think that faith is often stretched when we're challenged by things that are either deeply, deeply uncomfortable when it comes to tests or, fa- or illnesses or difficulties in life. Or when we're taken to places that it's vastly uncomfortable to do what Jesus did. <laughs> and if I can pull that a little bit further, the bicep is about pulling and sometimes God pulls us into situations we really are not liking in terms of challenges illnesses tests but they grow our faith by pulling us in by flexing that muscle similarly when he pushes us out and extends us into places where he wants us to do what he did maybe beyond our current experience that pushes us and stretches us beyond where we are and therefore we learn a little bit more about him i love in luke 9 and 10 jesus sends out the 72 and the 12 and they return filled with joy and what they've seen God do. But before that, they weren't prepared. They weren't massively, didn't have experience of being going out. They didn't, He sent them out to go preach the kingdom, raise the dead, heal the sick. They didn't have experience of that. <laughs> and He's sending them to go and do things that they hadn't done. They'd maybe seen Him do it, but they hadn't do, done it. And He's challenging them to go to places they haven't done, to do things, to, to do things they haven't done, places they haven't been. And that's risk. That's stretching where they have been. A little bit more about my background is um, I trained as a doctor. And honestly, like, uh, Elian's daughter is also a doctor, and so she knows what I'm talking about. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of work involved in becoming and graduating as a doctor. And, I mean, six years of university is, is long. Most of you do three, and that's long enough. But six years of sitting in classrooms, learning in books, reading stuff... Over and over and over again so I can regurgitate it when I need to is brilliant, isn't it? But the thing is, no matter how good the teaching I have on what a heart attack is and how a heart functions, how it pumps blood around your body and what happens when something like an insult or a heart attack happens and how to fix it. I can learn all about that in book after book after book after book. But until I'm sitting in an accident emergency faced with somebody who's having a heart attack, I do not know how that knowledge actually begins to play out in real life. And similarly, we can sit in youth room after youth room and church service after church service and fill young people's heads with great knowledge. Don't get me wrong. It's good teaching and solid food, which they need. But if that's all we're doing, then they will never have the opportunity to connect what is in here to what is out there. If our youth ministries are solely based around coming to meetings to fill with knowledge, then we are already losing the game. And the thing is, it involves risk. Faith, as Hebrews tells us, is assurance of what we do not see. Uh, and therefore, to believe something and then to practice something you cannot see takes risk. And when we take risks, we are demonstrating faith. This brings immense, immense growth. As young people begin to rely not on their experience of what has been, but what on, only <laughs> on what this book tells them to do. This has got to be the benchmark for our experience. This has got to be the limiter of our experience. This has got the limitation of what we set out that young people can and can't do. It has to be in this book, not from our own backgrounds, not from our own church backgrounds or how things have been told to do this, but what we read in this book. It is all about him and it's revealed in this book. And so when we take people to streets or to meet people, the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus explaining the Gospels becomes not only a story that they read, but a life that they live. As we encourage young people to pray for healing with people, we see it not only as Jesus finishes in Bethsaida or Capernaum, but actually we begin to realize it in life. And they begin to realize that giftings are not limited to standing in front of a church or playing a guitar that actually so, there's a world of gifting revealed to them because of who they are, not of what we make them do. Turn to the person beside you and share the moment recently, or maybe if you feel comfortable, with the last time you feel your faith was properly stretched as an individual. Getting a bit deeper, but this is what we have to model to young people. So turn to the person beside you and share, when was the last time your faith was really, really stretched? Beyond what you knew was experience and beyond what you knew was maybe comfortable. Turn, turn, go, go for it. Great. Um, I've got, a, I've got a, a young assistant who didn't know that he was going to be involved in this. So uh, you can forgive uh, Bruce if he uh, doesn't know what he's saying. But um, I'm sort of bringing him up because... Um, And I promise, I promise, I promise. In terms of uh, an Exodus point of view, this is the this is my only plug. Is that um, over the last year we've been involving young people in what's been called um, the Influencer Academy, and it's basically it's not it's to bring young people in, but it's to mobilise them and equip them to go and make disciples in their everyday in and their families and their schools, and it's. Centered around simple principles. Every night you come to a centre or to somewhere that is happening and you learn about one thing and then you go and do it and then you come back and share a story of it. Really simple. And I'm going to hand it over to Bruce because this is a story or this is one of the stories about where faith is stretched in a really simple way.
1: Okay, cool. So uh, one of the nights we did this year was uh, all about the Bible um, and so we invited the young people to come to our different centres and it was kind of come and see, this is why the Bible is important, and this is why the Bible is central to ministry, and this is why the Bible is central central to our faith and to evangelism and we taught them that Um, so it was like come and see, this is why the Bible is great, Um, and then at the end of the night uh, we hadn't prompted them that we were going to do this Uh, we announced that in the next room there was a big pile of Bibles uh, just ready for them, so we handed each one of the young people a small paperback NIV Bible and said go and give it to your friend Um, and I think it was really, really great because we started with come and see, but then it was go and do. And we gave them a Bible, put it in their hand, and said, We're going to keep you accountable on this. We're going to ask you in a few months, like, how did that go? Not in a pressure kind of way, but just, How did it go? Did you do it? Tell us some stories. Um, and I remember this really, really great part of the night. We stood in a big circle at the end, everyone with their Bible in their hand, um, and shared who they were going to give it to. And some people were so nervous. Some people were almost shaking, praying, and just really, really afraid about what they were going to go and do. Um, but there's a real—that was a real special moment for me—hearing people pray, about giving it to their parents, giving it to their friends, uh, giving it to um, all these people. Uh, and we heard incredible stories come back about people who'd taken a massive leap of faith, given a Bible to a friend, and done this incredible thing. Um, and people went and did it. And there was uh, people got saved from that, and, and people uh, got to talk to their friends about Jesus for the first time. And I think. Probably the greatest thing about it was that was one moment of come and see go and do but it also gave them the mindset that actually that wasn't as hard as i thought it would be i can go and do that now again and some people came back and asked for another bible or told stories of how they would went and bought their another bible for another friend and how that was multiplied uh, in the future so there you go.
0: thanks bruce when do you all give bruce a wee clap because he didn't know he was doing that i just threw him in um and we're not clapping Bruce because, uh, you know, he's great talking. Clapping Bruce because he's sharing a story of what God does in the lives. This is one of the quotes. On the night of the Bible giveaway, I was really challenged, so I took three or four Bibles, distributed them to members of my rugby team. Wow, what bravery. I, well, not anymore. I used to play rugby, but I can't imagine doing that. Really terrifying. <laughs> uh, just actual courage in action. So you grow as you go. Oh, that's not working, is it? You grow as you go. Great. Number two, every environment becomes an opportunity. Jesus made disciples on the move. Uh, He didn't just sit in synagogues, although he did do that. Uh, We see him teaching on mountainsides. We see him heel in village squares and in houses. We see him on boats and on beaches. And we should follow his example where every place we find ourselves becoming an opportunity for mission to be realized and released. And so when mission is integral, it pushes outside four walls. Guys, it has to. It has to. (laughs) Because people will not come in anymore. (laughs) So it has to push us outside four walls. Tear Fund did a survey of 10,000 UK citizens a few years ago, and less than 33% said that they would ever be in a church in their life for any situation whatsoever. That's including the people who say they'll go for marriage or for death or for birth. Less than 33%. Now, that's mainland UK. That's not Northern Ireland. But even still, the principle is there. There are 67% or more of people who are completely unconnected, to any form of church except by one thing, you and me. <laughs> and it's the same for our young people. They're growing up in schools. Uh, one of the guys I, um, I've connected with this year uh, talks about the youth group in his church, and he talks about them being the 1st unsunday un-Sunday schooled generation coming through. The first group of young people coming to their youth group from the streets who have not been at Sunday school, who don't know who Noah is, apart from an ark and apart from Evan Almighty or the film. They don't know who uh, David is or Daniel is, except maybe at the odd picture of David and Goliath. So we have to take the mission, the message to the streets, to the places inside that's not inside four walls. And actually it's incredible because instead of limiting ourselves to just teaching the kingdom we get to actually advance it through them we get to see bibles being given out we get to see prayer happen we get to see young people take it on themselves that they can go and that they can do and then when this happens, we become so much less concerned about what our meetings look like, about what happens when people come, and we get so much more concerned about what our young people's character is like, about what their families look like, about what their friendships are defined by, about what their homes and their schools look like. There's a story I heard last year of uh, two young people, and, and they just happen to be on our teams, but that's not, I think, the reason. Um... They came back from uh, a a time away and time on mission and uh, we got the message to the office from their dad who is a a fairly well-respected businessman and he was messaging and you can read in the email that he's almost in tears because he talks about his son getting up with him in the morning to have breakfast and then offering to pray for him before he goes out to work. (laughs) He talks about his daughter when he comes home from work his daughter's asking him, oh, dad, what are, you, what are you reading in the word these days? Teach me. And so young people's families start to be redefined, not by maybe the dad or the mum, but by the young people who've caught a bit about the life of Jesus and want to share it with their parents. <laughs> what opportunity? And the thing is, it's free. <laughs> it's so simple. It's so simple. Number three. When mission is integral, walls of comparison are torn down. I I love, I don't know if you if you read about the, I just, to preface all this, I've just come back from a holiday in Rome and uh, we went to a few of the churches and they've got statues of all the 12 disciples up. They're incredible. The detail is amazing. It's really interesting. But what is actually fascinating is that there's details around the statues about what they did, about who they were. And I love that Jesus recruited disciples, his disciples, from such a varied backgrounds. They were not all head boys of their school. Sorry, Bruce. They they were not all head girls of their school. They were not all Oxford, Cambridge graduates. (laughs) From tax collectors to fishermen. Everybody is represented. And that is because Jesus believed that to reach the whole world, he needed a variety of people from every sphere of society. And their professional training was not the rate-limiting step for them being a disciple. It's the same from from our young people. I was listening to a, a debate on the radio, um, Stephen Nolan, and it wasn't on Nolan. I just want to clarify that. I'm not a massive Nolan listener. I was listening to Five Live about the Olympics, and then Nolan came on after. And, uh, and he, was, he was talking about... Um, ...new grammar schools in England... ...how they want to build more... ...and how those people are opposing them... ...and basically their argument is that... ...this doesn't promote what they call social mobility... ...i.e. people coming from different social classes... ...and spectrums and spheres of society communicating interacting with each other that grammar schools do not promote that apparently I'm, I'm not getting into that debate but what i do believe is that in the kingdom of god in youth ministry we carry the ultimate capacity for social mobility because it was demonstrated to us by jesus and we need to understand that the church carries the potential to redefine it and Please forgive me if I'm really touching nerves here, but we cannot create youth ministries that are dependent upon knowledge and upon academic prowess and upon the ability to understand the Bible for the syntax that is there. We cannot create youth ministries that define success as understanding the Greek for preach the kingdom and heal every disease, even though Scott wonderfully articulated it this morning. We cannot create youth ministries that are solely dependent upon academic prowess but on hearts that are willing to bring the love of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. And there's something there's something that happens in the hearts of young people when faith moves towards lives that don't have hope. They realize that they carry something. They realize that they, they actually, the end, it doesn't matter where they've come from, it doesn't matter what school they've gone to, that they carry hope. And when they start to share that, they realize that they have something of intrinsic value to give to the world. And usually it's a world that tells them that they don't have that same value. Um, I was in Spain at the beginning of July on a, on a mission team. Uh, and there's uh, a girl in the church there. A very lovely girl. But you know, she wouldn't be a high flyer. And unfortunately, when she was between the ages of 9 and 11, she was lifted off the street every day by a local paedophile. And I'm sitting listening in the church as she shares her story. She's now 25 of how God rescued her, of how he restored her. And not only that, of how he was to, she was to use her story to bring hope to others who maybe have gone through the similar thing. And I'm like, honestly, you can t- take me to whatever university in the world, study whatever Bible degree in the one, and you will not find the capacity for hope that was in that girl. And she understood that her value and her principle in life and her purpose was possible because she could bring hope to others. And that is what mission releases in young people. They realize they can make a difference. Even the most academically challenged young person can know they are loved and they don't know that they can give love. And without that, we are clashing gongs, clanging cymbals. Without love. Number four, and then you're going to do some work. Cause creates Community. We see, as Exodus, we see this every year. Young people thrown together who don't know each other, and they go away, and something binds them. And the, the bond that they get is that they've got this cause. They've got this mission. They've got this ministry to be able to go and serve somewhere with a purpose. And when you introduce outwardness, when you introduce mission, when you introduce something that has the potential to lift young people's eyes from themselves and outside the group, as we were talking about, that actually it creates cause, it creates community in them. And that means that they involve not only them, it gets them fired up, but also those who are on the fringes realize, oh, there's, there's something happening there. I want to get involved in that. There's energy around going and doing something. And I want to be part of it. I want to see what God does because I don't want just to read about it. I want to see it. And Bruce says, come and see. Go and do. (laughs) The cause creates community and our young people desperately crave real community. So let's give it to them with a cause to live for. I want to pause again. And this is maybe something for yourself to reflect. But if you want... Share it with the person beside you. What hinders you having mission as an integral part of your own life? Not your youth ministry, not your church, your own life. What hinders you having mission as an integral part of your own life? If you feel comfortable, turn to the person beside you and chat a bit about that. If not, just reflect on it yourself. What causes you, what hinders you having mission as an integral part of your own life? Okay, don't worry, I'm not going to start pulling out people and uh, uh, maybe feel, making them feel awkward in the front of everybody else. Um, often, I think the answer, when I, if I think about myself um, and my own heart, there's maybe a couple of things. One is that um, what hinders me, one is that I make excuses, and usually that excuse is directed at my local church or organization, and I say, oh, uh, we don't have enough that actually helps us to go out. So that's one excuse that I make, that maybe the the thing that I'm part of doesn't facilitate me to go out. Um, Actually, I think underneath it all, it's a lot deeper than that. It's actually maybe, firstly, maybe fear of rejection, reputation loss, uh, fear that I'm not good enough, fear that I don't have it all together enough, fear that I don't have the words to say if I engage in mission or activity. Uh, Maybe actually underneath it all, is a lack of belief in the Jesus that we profess in. Uh, as Scott said earlier on, guys, just open the book and show them the guy. <laughs> open the book, show them Jesus. And I think sometimes maybe I just lack belief in the gospel enough to know that it changes lives in the way that it does. Uh, maybe I, it's just my heart isn't, you know, uh, actually quickened enough to the opportunity that it presents. Not only the opportunity it presents, but the opportunity it should be creating or stirring within me. I realize um, it's the same for young people. They also make excuses about youth ministry not doing this, not doing that for them. They also make insecurities about their ability to share their gospel, pray with people, demonstrate generosity. Um, they also will have fear about rejection and reputation loss. They will also have maybe a lack of belief in the Jesus they profess. But what we cannot do, is people who are involved in youth ministry, is just continue to just to... To, to wash over that and say, okay, we'll just keep going and, and fix it and sort it out. We, we have to both encourage young people individually and also we have to help them by creating intentional environments where they can go outside four walls, where youth ministry doesn't become about a meeting and it's taken to a place or a people or an opportunity. I reckon if any of you are involved in leading youth ministries in churches, you're like, Chris, Uh, I'm with you, I'm with you. Mission, yeah, I know it's needed. But honestly, where am I going to find the time? Where am I going to find the volunteers? Where am I going to find the space? And you're saying, how am I going to get people involved in doing another night? (laughs) In a busy week. And the reality is that if you're not prioritizing mission as already part of your program now, then that's a challenge. That's your first challenge. And the second thing is, if you are, it's being creative with how you're going to integrate it to part of what you already have. I'm actually all in favor of stripping back an awful lot of the stuff we do in and around churches, and uh, and leaving it, leaving some of the, some actually some more space for people to live their lives in an everyday fashion, instead of asking them to come to more stuff all the time. So the, what I'm asking you and challenging you with is, if you're not prioritizing mission, how are you going to do that? What are you going to sacrifice? What meeting are you going to give up? Or maybe once a week or once a month or once every couple of weeks. What are you going to do differently that facilitates outwardness and activity amongst your young people? We're going to finish with two things here really quickly. Quick principles. Um, maybe a little, uh, if you like, a little cycle that you can do in terms of mission. But then we're going to split you into two groups. And we're going to do a bit of brainstorming around some creative ideas, if that sounds good. Um, Jesus in Matthew 10, but also Luke 9 and 10, they're absolute handbooks for mission. And if you read, he does four things. He teaches and he envisions them with mission and with the activity they need to do. He says, go and do. He says, you have all authority. Go and be my witnesses. He gives them permission to do it. He doesn't just say, this is what you need to do. He says, you, you actually have authority. You actually have the permission to go and do it. I give you it to go and do. And so be empowered. First thing is about teaching, envisioning, giving permission. Second thing, send with instruction. Keep it simple. Give them a Bible and say, go and give it to your friend who doesn't know Jesus. Tell them to go home and pray for one of their parents that night. Simple instruction that's clear, that's understandable, and it's not this vague thing of you need to go and evangelize the world. If you're not standing on the corner of your school and preaching the gospel, you're messing, missing the mark. That's not like that's so a way above and beyond what their maybe their capacity tells. There might be a few, but I'm guessing that most of them aren't. Just give simple instruction. Where can they demonstrate generosity in their life? Who can they show the love of God to in their friendship group? So send with clear instruction. So first teach and envision. Send with clear instruction. Number third, hear and share stories when they come back. Develop a culture in your youth ministry of sharing the stories of what God is doing. So that as Jesus hears the stories of they come back, he is filled with joy and they are filled with joy. And I wonder, when was the last time in your youth ministry you had a young person coming back so excited to tell you about what God had done through them? That is the goal. Uh, Like the excitement that bubbles up. When was the last time you were so excited about what God God had done through you? (laughs) That you had to tell somebody about it. And the last thing, he in Matthew 10 and also in Luke, he retreats to the mountainside to worship and to reorientate towards the Father. Because stories can sometimes become about us when actually it's all about him. So four principles. Teach and envision. Send with clear instruction. Hear and share stories. And worship the Father. So, what I would love you to do is I'm going to do a bit of movement. So, uh, if you are involved in a youth ministry that, by and large, has less than ten people involved in it, can you maybe go to kind of the sorry, I'm just stepping on the mic, go to that back section of chairs just behind us? And if you are somebody who's involved in youth ministry with more than ten young people in it then stay on this side of this kind of thing. So if you're, going to, if you're involved in that, it doesn't matter whether you're with the many or with the few. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not dichotomizing you to say that one's more valid than the other. I'm not sending the people who are few to the back for any reason other than it's easy and facilitatable. So if you're somebody with uh, less than 10 young people, move to the back. If you're somebody with more than 10 young people, stay at the front. Go. Move. Now, please don't get too comfortable, please don't get too comfortable, Um, because you maybe have come with other people and you're talking about your own context and stuff, but what actually this is about is about cross-pollination of ideas and creativity, so um, please uh, get up and get into groups of three or four people with somebody or another group that is not part of your own church or your own ministry, so go, move, get into groups like that are based on that, not on who you know, but on something different so you can share ideas, Fantastic. Okay, last instruction, really simple. In the groups you now find yourself in, obviously, firstly, get to know each other's names. It's nothing more awkward than you're talking to somebody. I actually had this earlier where I met somebody. I didn't know their name. It was really awkward. So just introduce yourself, talk to them, um, but then find out a bit about their own ministry context. And then the key question is discuss some ideas you have seen in action of mission in your context with young people. And or... Share ideas that's things that you maybe would like to see. So this is a group here. At the front, we have greater than 10 young people. So think of the things that you can contextually do with more than 10 young people that you might like to see happen or that you have seen happen. And the group at the back, it's with groups of less than 10 young people, things that you maybe would like to see happen or that you have seen happen. Uh, Share ideas, um, share stories, and share context. And then, um, yeah, just get on on with it. Share. Enough for me. (laughs) Go for it. Okay, really, really sorry to cut in. Um, time is sort of coming forth. And I really just want to encourage you, um, wherever you're sitting, uh, please don't leave these conversations if you feel like you're getting into something. Um, I just want to leave you with a couple of ideas. And I'm sure I'm not going to listen to hear from loads right now. Um, some things which are really not exhaustive, um, but I think are principles. Um, maybe a couple of stories. Um, Anything that involves—if you have a group that is less than ten young people—you maybe think, "Oh, I mean, we can't do this. We can't do that, or whatever." Um, there's a few young people. One of the guy, one a guy I know, has been really, really intentional, and he's was—he's now nineteen, but he was sixteen at the time. Really intentional about getting friends round to his house to play FIFA, to have pizza, and he. At some point in the night, we'll just bring conversation around to talking about Jesus. This is with his friends. Really simple. So if you have one teenager who's 16 years old and they have a passion to reach their friends, then you have enough. <laughs> you, don't have to be, you don't have too small a youth ministry. If you have one person with passion to reach their friends, they can do it. Um, and when it comes to, to bigger groups... Um, You've so, like, you've lost opportunities with resources and things that you can do around teams and holiday Bible clubs. But honestly, the thing that I think, regardless of whatever you do, is you need to develop a culture of helping young people process what God is doing around them as he's doing it in them. So that it doesn't become this thing that they do, it becomes who they are. Um, if I can leave you with a couple of principles, intentionally choose to give it away. I think you only find life in all fullness when you give your life away. Um and Jesus calls us to give our lives away. And so if you can um Matthew ten, forty two, at the very end of the chapter says or forty two, anyone gives if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. And fear is a big thing. Help young people do the small thing well. Help them to demonstrate generosity by giving things to people, by giving water to people who want water, by giving by demonstrating just a generous heart. Do that. You can do that with one young person. You don't have to do it with 20 or 10. If you get, create opportunities where young people give themselves away, it actually, one, it slams right across their culture of selfie <laughs> and ch- forces them to give of themselves instead of taking and also teaches them about life and all fullness is found when you give it away. Secondly, example trumps program every time. So if you're involved... In youth ministry, you can create the most incredible program, the flashing lights, the smoke machines. But ultimately, what you do is watched far more than what you provide or what you perform. So your example in your own life, invite young people into your life. If I can say that, invite young people into your home. Let them see how you do family, how you do relationships, how you do generosity, how you do hospitality. That is so much more important than getting the program right. Give yourself, have opportunities for you to open yourself up so young people can get into the proximity of your life, so they can see who you really are beyond four walls (laughs) and see how you do mission. And I think the third thing is, yeah, make it a culture of who we are, not something we do. culture of who we are. Share stories that becomes, we are a people who are generous. We are a people who will take the opportunity to pray for healing. We are the people who will take the opportunity to share the gospel because it's something we believe in, something we are passionate about, not something we just simply have to do when we're asked to, or rather forced to. Jesus recruited from an immense variety of backgrounds. You have an immense variety of backgrounds at your fingertips. Just the same. And the last thing, really simple, is that uh, oh, I'm 28, and I already am so far moving beyond the teenage culture of today that I don't know how to connect or relate very well anymore. And the more I try, the more I realize I'm terrible at it. So the teenagers you have are the best resource for reaching teenagers. They know how to relate. They know how to connect. They know how to grow. They know what's flying with them. You can put on smoke machines, lights, best worship band in the world. You can have incredible things. But you are ultimately still going to be trying to be something you're not. They are already teenagers. They can reach their friends far better than you ever can. They just need to be inspired to, facilitated to, encouraged to, and then hear the stories when they come back. Give space to share stories. I could go on, but I can't encourage you enough to take the time and effort to mobilize your young people towards mission. I encourage you to give the time needed to make mission a priority of your ministry, not just a part, but actually who you are. And then let the father heart of God determine the results. Let the sacrifice of the son call them to sacrifice for their families and their communities. And let the power of the Holy Spirit flow through them to bring change and transformation in and around them. Can I give you an opportunity? Actually, this may be the best way to finish. Is where you're you're already you've already met with a couple of people there, talked about where your certain context is. Can I just I could pray for you, but actually it'd be so much more powerful if you all prayed for each other as you go into September and a new season of church and life and everything. So turn with whoever, whichever group you've been in, and pray for each other, sending each other out in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and reach young people and help young people, reach young people, help disciples make disciples. So pray, go for it. I did to speak your final words from you, no, but I think that It's fine. I just really want to encourage you to pray and take this moment. These are there's moments of pause that are opportunity just to invite God into the middle of conversation. So take that time, pray. And if anybody wants to chat to me or any of the other guys here, then please grab us afterwards. So go ahead, pray, finish. <laughs>